So there's a word this morning from Luke chapter 13. And we're lifting up verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now he, that's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which you are which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. On the strength of that text, we want to preach from this title, this subject, this theme. Woman, you are free. Woman, you are free. In his debut novel, 1964, Ngugi Wathiongo wrote of a boy, a schoolboy, this novel, Weep Not Child, a schoolboy by the name of Injororge. And this schoolboy was devoted to Christianity and, and devoted to furthering his education. And this was during the late colonial period in, in Kenya, so in the late 1940s, early 1950s. And during this time in Kenya, there was a stark difference between Europeans who were on the ground, settlers, and in Jorge's group, the Kikuyu. And it had been some decades before that the colonial government decided that the best land in Kenya, the high central highlands where the Kikuyu had dwelt since time immemorial, that land would be only for European settlements. So the Kikuyu were dispossessed of their land the land that they claimed was theirs ancestrally, the land that they had farmed and, 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 and lived off of. Now they were mere tenants. It's land dispossession. So during the 1940s, a group called Mau Mau began a campaign to retake their land from white settlers. And as the years grew on into 
the early 50s and the, and the middle 50s, that, 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 that campaign by Mau Mau grew continually violent. And Jiroge was not part of Mau Mau, but he believed that his people, the Kikuyu, were God's chosen people. He read it in Exodus, and he, he looked at the people of Israel in the same way that he now looked upon his own people. And if Israel, who were in bondage to the Egyptians, if God delivered them, then certainly God would deliver the Kikuyu from their own oppression. And Jeroge even believed that the recently returned politician, nationalist Jomo Kenyatta was a black Moses. Now, it has been common for, for people under different sorts of oppression to contextualize biblical narratives to meet their own needs, to meet their own situations. Whether we're talking about the Kikuyu in the 1940s and 50s or indigenous people in Peru in the 17th century, indigenous people in Mexico in the 16th century, enslaved Africans and their descendants throughout the Caribbean and here in North America, it has been common for folk who encounter Christianity while under oppression to contextualize the gospel to suit their needs. But it raises the question, it raises the question, does Jesus care about our bodies under different forms of oppression? Does Jesus care about our bodies under different forms of oppression? From my reading of scripture, and from this text in particular, the answer is a yes. Yes, he does. He cares about our spiritual oppression. He cares about our social oppression. He cares about our domestic oppression. He cares about our economic oppression. He has come to set us free from all of our oppression. That's the Messiah that we praise. So looking at this text, in verse 10, Luke here sets the, the, the place and the context. It, it, it was Jesus' custom to teach in, in local synagogues wherever he was on a Sabbath day. And it was a tradition for the ruler of a synagogue to invite a guest rabbi to, to, to say a word. We, we, we saw this in, in Acts chapter 13 with, with Paul and Barnabas, and they were asked to give a word. So here we have Jesus who was teaching in the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus was a peripatetic rabbi, which means that he, he went from place to place. He didn't have a synagogue, per se, where he taught regularly. So he traveled, and where he traveled, he would teach and he would preach. So after setting up, setting this, this scene in verse 10, in verse 11, Luke introduces us to a woman present that day in synagogue. 
Now, I want us to note how Luke described what ailed this woman. We're not given her name. We don't know anything about her except her condition. Luke says, as translated in the ESV, she had a disabling spirit. And we're given the amount of time that this woman had this disabling spirit. It vexed her for 18 years. 18 years. Now, we should understand that this disabling spirit means that she didn't suffer from merely an illness. This was not anything that had happened to her in the normal course of her living. It wasn't an infection, it wasn't cancer, none of that merely. But it was brought upon her by a spirit, an evil spirit, a demon. And it had a physical manifestation. She was bent over and unable to straighten herself for 18 years. Now, I know that folks in the West, folks who are Christians in the West, don't spend a lot of time thinking about demons and and spirits and people being possessed by demons. That's, and that's, that's unfortunate because I see nowhere in scripture where demon activity has ceased only because Jesus is in heaven. Now, I've, I've heard arguments saying that, well, you know, the demon activity was, was quite active when Jesus was on earth. And I, I, I can definitely believe that we read about that in, in, in the gospels. But still, I don't read anywhere in Scripture where uh, uh, the demons are, are just inactive. Believe in the activity of demons. I had a pastor once who said he didn't really believe in the activity of demons. And I, I, saw the, I said, well, pastor, next time I go home to New Orleans, why don't you come with me? And we'll go in the French Quarter. And we'll go in Marie Laveau's voodoo shop. And then we can talk after that. We have to realize ourselves that our own contexts can even uh, impinge upon what is taught in Scripture and what we should be looking out. But demon activity is real, folks. It is real. And we have to stay vigilant. And, and, and we, we have to realize that, that, that still Jesus has the power to deal with demon activity. Now, I'm not saying for for somebody around here to to seek out somebody demon-possessed and and want to lay your hands on somebody and and say, be gone, demon. I would not suggest that. Not in one bit. I think you should run another way and get some help, some prayer. But still, here was a woman under spiritual bondage for 18 years that had a physical manifestation of it. Jesus himself says later in this text that Satan had bound this woman for 18 years. So here she was. Sabbath day. We don't know how often she went to synagogue. She may have gone to synagogue every Sabbath day. We don't know. 
But we know that on this particular Sabbath day, she was present. I don't know if we really can imagine the spiritual struggle this woman engaged in day after day. It's one thing to struggle with sin, and we all struggle with, 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 with sin. We, we struggle with, with besetting sins, sins that we just, it, it, it feels like we just can't shake ourselves from, that we can't free ourselves from. Every Christian in this house knows that struggle. And if you don't know that struggle, then maybe you an angel have come from heaven. And you sit in our midst. But I believe everybody in here who is a believer knows the struggle of besetting sin. That's bad. But what if your besetting sin also had a physical component to it? Where you couldn't straighten yourself out. And you have to walk around with that condition. That was a doubly oppressive situation for this woman. But look at verse 12. Out of all the people that were in the synagogue, Jesus saw her. Let me just say, well, it wasn't hard for Jesus not to see her. It's a woman who doubled over. Of course he would see her. Yeah. But he, he, he saw her, but he more than saw her. You know what I'm saying? He saw her, but he more than saw her. He paid careful attention to her. As she was. And, and, and we, we can assume that her condition moved Jesus' heart. He had compassion for this woman. That's one thing to have the power to alleviate somebody's condition. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, brother, sister, I need $5, and you got $25 in your, in, in your wallet. You peel off that five. You say, good, brother. God bless you. So it's one thing to have the power to alleviate somebody's condition. Jesus definitely had the power to alleviate the woman's condition. But it is another to have the heart, another to have the compassion to alleviate somebody's condition. It's just two, two different things. Yeah. An old deacon back home would say, you can, you, you, you can give without loving but you can't love without giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loved this woman. And out of his love and his compassion, he decided to do something for this woman that no one could do for the past 18 years, that she could not do for the last 18 years. brothers and sisters, to follow Jesus and to serve as Jesus did, we have to have the heart to serve people, not simply the wherewithal, 
Not simply because we have thousands of thousands of dollars in a benevolent fund that we can dole out when necessary, but it is giving that benevolence with a heart of love. That's serving as Jesus served. Stop looking down upon somebody. It's not feeling an air of superiority over somebody because they're in a certain condition. But it is entering. It is, it is, it is this, this empathic element that we must strive for in serving people who cannot help themselves, who are in a predicament not of their own making, but one that is both spiritual and physical as well. So Jesus then announced, he proclaimed her new condition before her condition actually changed. (laughs) So he says, he says, woman, you are freed from your disability at the end of verse 12. What was going through this woman's mind when she heard the words of Jesus? Possibly she's saying that I'm a woman in this society. Here's this rabbi Jesus who takes notice of me. He declares I'm free. Yes, Jesus took note of this oppressed woman. And I want to say that again. Jesus took note of this oppressed woman. She was oppressed by the devil, but... We have to put this woman in her social context. Jewish women during this first century period were among the poorest in the world. And this was because of of, of, of Roman colonial policy that had divested the land from Jews. So they weren't able to, to, to grow their own food like they had once. So they were dependent upon uh, the colonial purse, and that affected women acutely. Women chafed under unjust patriarchal systems, both colonially, but also even at home, where fathers betrothed their young girls very young. Everybody say, well, that, that, was, that was the times. Well, just because it was the times doesn't mean that it was proper, that it was right. There's nowhere in Scripture where the, the, the law of God says, uh, betroth your young child at the age of nine or ten. No, this was, this was a custom. This was part of a system. And it hurt young girls. So married girls and and, and women were unable to to get a divorce. But husbands could easily get a a divorce. Bible scholars, y'all know, if, if a wife burned the meal, that was subject for her being divorced from her husband. Her husband would just say, I divorce you. 
three times and it was settled for burning a meal. This is history. So it's what women had to endure in that context. Jesus, uh, Jewish law disabled women from, from testifying in cases. So what we see in this little brief snapshot of what it was like for a woman in, in first century Palestine, in first century Roman colonialism, was that women were second-class citizens. Women were second-class. The structures of the society were harsh to women. So it's, it's not a coincidence we don't believe in coincidences. It was no coincidence that on this particular Sabbath day that a woman who had been bound by Satan for 18 years is at this synagogue with Jesus teaching. It's no coincidence. So here we have Jesus telling this woman that you are freed from your disability. She's affirming, he is affirming this woman as a woman. He's blessing this woman as a woman. Luke had been, he, he, he's been interested in this throughout, throughout this gospel. Luke, Luke tells us that, that Jesus throughout his ministry affirmed women and he blessed women and women also blessed Jesus. Look at Luke 8. With Joanna and other women who gave out of their substance to support the ministry of Jesus. Luke makes it uh, 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 plaintively clear that women share in the ministry of Jesus. So here he is. Woman, you are freed from your disability. Then he lays his hands on this woman. And the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of, of disability, leaves her. So Jesus heals her and he sets her free. Look at verses 14 through 16. Here we have the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus engaging in conversation. Luke points out that the ruler was indignant. The ruler was indignant. He, he knew what he just saw. But he was indignant. Why was he indignant? Talking about a theological position that he believed was abrogated. Look, he says, put in my own words, he and his boys were around him. You know, when you have your boys standing who got your back, you get a lot of courage. I don't know. Maybe, maybe y'all didn't grow in the type of neighborhood I grew up, grew up in. When, you had, when your boys had your back, you talk bad, you talk louder. He says, look, talk to the people, not talking to Jesus. If, 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 if you want to be healed, that's fine. But don't come here on Saturday. We got six days. We open for healing six days. If you're sick on the seventh day, you 
got to suffer until we back open on the first day of the week. Come back then. Now, he's telling that to the people, but really, he's telling it to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, you, you, you ought to know better than this. You, you, you're supposed to be the, 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 the rabbi of the people. And you don't know this? You're going against our tradition. You're going against the law of God by working on the Sabbath. So this man was more interested in the theological debate than he was over a sister in the faith who had just been delivered from a spirit of disability. Notice Jesus calls out his hypocrisy and the other men who are around him, he calls out their hypocrisy because that's what it was. It was hypocrisy. Nowadays, we would call what Jesus said a mic drop moment. He said, look here, you hypocrites. Now, I know for a fact that each one of y'all on the Sabbath will untie your animal and lead it to get water. And basically, he's implying that is it not, is it not this work? Can, 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 you, can you qualify this as working on the Sabbath? That's, that's what Jesus is assuming here with this argument, this question. But here's the mic drop moment in verse 16. If you do this for your animals on the Sabbath, caring for them, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, not, not, he, he, this not a Gentile woman. There's not some woman that's come off the street, but a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of the covenant, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day of all days. A day that looked forward to a day of jubilee, a day of rejoicing. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And yes, he reveals a disarming truth to the ruler. This ruler and others who were behind him, they loved their theological position more than they love people. I'm saying it again. They love their theological position more than they love people. They, lie, they, they, they love to argue. They love to argue at the expense of loving people. They love their animals more than they love people. And what this reveals is that they had a lack of understanding of God's law because that's not, that's what, not the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath, as, as, as Jesus has said. But that they were abiding by rabbinic tradition that had attempted to fence the law. You have the law, 
then you have rabbinic tradition that goes around the law so that you can't violate the law. That's, that's, what, that's what the position was about. And Jesus saw through this and said, no, 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 you don't understand God's law. It is more than right, it is more than fitting on the Sabbath day to do good, to love your neighbor as well as loving God. And that's what the ruler of the synagogue and his boys lack. That's what Jesus reveals here. At the bottom line, they didn't love God. They love themselves. They love their tradition. And they lack love for their neighbor. They lack love for a daughter of Abraham. And brothers and sisters, this is a lesson for us. A big lesson for us, especially in the current climate in this country, but not this country broadly, but within evangelical circles and even reform circles where people are crossing swords about certain things, about certain issues, wanting to be right, but losing sight of the heart of the matter. If you're arguing about critical race theory, why don't you back up two steps? Number one, find out what it really is. And number two, open up a history book and look at the narrative of certain people in this country. And then you put yourself in that situation. Would you come out with the same type of conclusions too? It's about being theological precise, yes. I believe in theological precision. I believe in it. You got to get the gospel right. You got to stand on the word. But we don't use the word to bludgeon folk, especially folk who are Christians. It's like saying, okay, brother, well, well, yeah, you, 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 you might be off a little bit, uh, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to try to understand your context. I'm not trying to understand it. Because when you say that you have been oppressed in this society, what you're doing, my brother, is playing the victim. Don't play the victim. That's, that's what people say. That's what people say. But there's something in loose gospel that we'll get to in a moment that specifies that Jesus did come to set free people under oppression. We read it in our call to worship. But the bottom line here, brothers and sisters, is that we cannot care for our theological precision and positions more than we care about people and especially more than we care about our brothers and sisters. We all have different experiences. We all come to Christ from different contexts, right? We all come to Christ from different contexts. And, 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 and we have different cultures in which we, we have even crafted our own Christ, 
So we have to be wary of that. We have to be humble. Now, verses 16, verse 16, and we're also backing up to verse 13 here. E- e- even though the hate that was spewed by the rulers, the ruler and his boys, they were hating on Jesus. I mean, they, they, they thought they had him cornered. But when Jesus revealed their hypocrisy, it did not stop. The ruler's hate did not stop the praise party that was going on. Because when Jesus healed the woman, she began to glorify God. And immediately the people who were in the synagogue, they started glorifying God. And while they were glorifying God, the ruler is talking to them. He, he, he trying to quench the spirit. Yeah, then these people started to shout, lift up their hands. Praising the Lord, this brother said, no, no, no. We don't do that here because this man has violated the law. But even when he said that, he couldn't stop the praise party that was going on because when the woman straightened her body and, and the people just, 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 just couldn't contain themselves. And what a picture that we have here. They had every right to praise the name of Jesus. The woman had received her freedom from demonic and physical oppression. And the people realized that Jesus was special, that he was sent from God. They knew he loved people and had come to set them free from all sorts of oppression. Jesus already said in Luke chapter 4, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor, not not the poor, the spiritually poor, them too, but also the poor. (laughs) He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here he is, carrying out his mission. He didn't set this woman free. He's hearing her praise. And he's hearing the praise of the people. And brothers and sisters, you ought to be glad that Jesus is still accomplishing his mission. Yeah, he's still accomplishing his mission. What he accomplished on Calvary is still being realized right now. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the gospel of grace and faith. Thank God for the forgiveness of sin. Thank God for freedom over sin. Thank God for freedom over oppression. And if I could put that woman and and translate her from a first century context and and put her in a 20th century context and 
put a at 2000 Andrew Street in the lower night ward of New Orleans, I can hear this woman singing, I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. But she would, she would really raise up on that second line. She would say, Satan had me bound. <laughs> But Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. But Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. But Jesus lifted me. Singing glory. Hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. And that's our testimony too. Satan had us bound. And there may be somebody here today that Satan still has bound, but Satan had us bound. Only don't think that he didn't have us bound. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And if you are a believer, he has set you free. And for someone who's here, young, old, middle-aged alike, if you have not, Place your faith in this liberator, in this Savior, whose name is Jesus, who liberates us from sin. What a day, the Lord's day, to place your faith in the one, the only one, who could free you from your sinful oppression and even give you the wherewithal to fight against sinful oppressions that are in this world. It's Jesus. And Jesus alone. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for setting us free. Yes, Satan had us bound, but Jesus set us free. And we can sing hallelujah because we who are once on our way to hell are now bound for the glory land. But Lord, as we are on this road, help us to persevere. Help us, Lord, to draw upon the strength of the Spirit who lives in us to fight against our besetting sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for justification. Thank you, Lord, for adoption. Thank you, Lord, for sanctification. And thank you, Lord, for ultimate glorification. We will see you face to face. So again, Lord, we pray that if there's someone here who is yet to place their faith in Jesus, Lord, we pray the Spirit will move upon them right now. And that they will realize that they are, they are bound in sin, that they were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and that Jesus is the only way, the only source of freedom. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.